Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm Joey Lovato, the multimedia editor here at the Indie. On this week's episode of Indie Matters, Michelle, Megan, and Riley all sit down to do a reporter roundtable and talk about the bills that they've seen pass and the bills that they've seen die in the past couple weeks. Let's get into it. In pursuit of our mission to provide reader-supported, nonpartisan journalism, the Nevada Independent sometimes accepts sponsorships for the podcast and events. The sponsors have no input into topics or content. This episode of the Indie Matters podcast is sponsored by the Nevada Mining Association. Okay, so it's Thursday night before Good Friday, and we're recording a podcast before we head out for the weekend on our respective uh, trips home. But... uh, Guys, we haven't touched base since the last committee passage deadline, which was last Friday. So I wanted to chat a little bit about what exactly died on deadline day and what does it mean about the legislature we have this year? So, um, Megan, first of all, I want to talk about some of the most obvious bills to die, which were, of course, some of the Republican bills that that would have passed in 2015, but really didn't have a chance this time. So tell me a little bit about what you uh, gathered from those Republicans. Yeah. So I talked to a couple of people in advance of, of the deadline day, um, you know, obviously with a Democrat controlled legislature, you know, I think they had sort of low expectations for what might be able to get passed. One of sort of the, the biggest ticket items that Republicans had, but knew probably had a very, very slim chance of getting a hearing um, was a bill that would have funded the state's long Installed education savings accounts program. That bill was sponsored by Republican Assemblyman um, Gregory Hafen, the freshman Republican. He, I talked to him on the floor the the, the day before the first committee passage deadline, and you know he he was pretty realistic about the bills chances. You know, he said that going in, he knew that there was a slim chance, but, um, you know, he brought it forward all the same. And, you know, what he told me is sort of, he he wasn't counting on that bill to to get a hearing and move forward, but he's more concerned now with what's been happening with the Opportunity Scholarship Program and the proposal to to cap that funding so it's not growing 10% year over year. So that was one of the big ticket items. And then there are a bunch of other just Republican proposals that came up. Um, I talked to Republican Assembly Leader Jim Wheeler. He was really passionate about this bill that would have required schools to teach about the Federalists, sort of the separation of powers, the Constitution. He, he wanted that to be a part of sort of the, the curriculum that, that students must learn. That bill didn't get a hearing, so he, he was, you know, obviously a little disappointed by that. But we did see some Republican bills move forward, so it was just, you know, kind of a mixed bag and really depended on the proposals and whether there was Democratic buy-in on those bills. Did you gather that there's any strategy behind introducing something that really has no chance of passage? I mean, is there an advantage for these Republicans to introduce an ESA bill? Sure. I mean, there's always, you know, politicking that happens in the process. I think, you know, part of this is if you introduce a bill like this, if you co-sponsor it, you can go home and tell voters, you know, I tried. I was a big proponent of the, the ESA program, but we just couldn't get it done this session with uh, democratic control. So it's a way of saying, you know, I tried to do something. Um, I did everything that was in my power versus, you know, not introducing a bill and sort of giving up before the races even started. At the end of the day, though, uh, these folks that did introduce some of these long shot bills ended up getting a lot of losses uh, at this bill passage deadline. I know Gregory Hafen, I think, only had one bill mm-hmm. advance. He had yep. four bills that he submitted and only one advance. So at the end of the day, the trade off is that you're not going to have a lot 
in the uh, the wins category yeah. at the end of the session. Yeah, yeah. Um, you brought up the opportunity scholarship, so I wanted mm-hmm. to just talk about that for a bit. At the bill passage deadline, we did see some action related to this opportunity scholarship. And for those of you that don't know, that is the private school scholarship. It's funded by donations that businesses make uh, to scholarship organizations. And in turn, they get a uh, tax credit on some of their state tax liability. So this program already has more than 2,000 students in it. Governor Sandoval put an infusion of funding in it last year. It was part of a, a session-ending compromise. We, we all lived through that. This, uh, one of the bills that did survive the deadline is a bill sponsored by Republican Senator Heidi Gansert. Uh, it would put $20 million towards opportunity scholarships. Now, this is a prospect that, you know, especially union leaders have been pretty strongly against adding another large infusion of money into this program that's bored in private schools. But what they did was they referred it to the Senate Committee on Finance. They're keeping it alive. Potentially, this could become part of end of session negotiations if they need it, if they need to get Republicans on board with something. Potentially, they could bring that bill into play. We'll see where that goes. But we also did see the passage of a bill this week that would cap the growth of the Opportunity Scholarship. So built into that legislation from 2015 was a provision that every year the program grows by 10%. So the tax credit allotment is 10% bigger each year. Megan and I did a quick uh, bit of math on this. And, uh, you know, it starts out slow, but eventually a 10% in compounding interest gets to be, starts growing pretty fast once you get, you know, a couple decades out. In a hearing, Speaker Frierson said this growth could be unsustainable going forward. Um, so they want to cap it uh, at, you know, 6.5 million or something dollars a year. Basically, it would keep the program the same size. It would probably actually reduce the program over time as you think of the ways that uh, inflation works. And that, that money is probably going to go not as far in the future. So that bill, it continues to advance. It, it passed on a party line vote. But these two bills, one growing the program and one really keeping it stagnant, maybe even, even shrinking it uh, relative to inflation, these are both moving forward. Uh, Riley, did you notice any major legislation that didn't pass the deadline last week? Yeah, I noticed several pieces of legislation that did not pass the deadline. So a big one I've been keeping an eye on was Heidi Swank, Assemblywoman Heidi Swank's bill to put a cap on payday loan rates. Um, it would have put a 36% cap on right now. It can have any amount of interest. It averages in the 100%. Um, so that died without a hearing. There is another bill that deals with payday loan databases, and that's continuing to move forward. There was another bill that Assemblywoman Susie Martinez had that would have required unemployment insurance for kiosks. So that also <laughs> Explain didn't... how that would work, Riley. That the works is how I just said. Uh, <laughs> if you have a kiosk, if you go to a McDonald's and you type in, I want my hamburger and large french fries, the business owner has to pay unemployment insurance for that. So it was an attempt to kind of address greater automation of workers that got kind of made fun of and never got a hearing. Um, so I'd that... like to mention that we recently used a kiosk to order rattlesnake fries at the Taco Bell. Oh, yeah, we did. But that was in California. So True. maybe that was a, a glimpse at what Nevada will become in the future <laughs> if certain people's predictions are correct. Um, another interesting bill that died, I, I think a lot of the conversation dealt with like a lot of progressive policies, what's going to make it, what's going to not. A lot of the ones we had been following made it, although they might have been substantially amended. One that I had been following um, both this session and last session had to do with red flag laws, where a 
individual or law enforcement can ask a court to take away someone's firearms temporarily. It was kind of a big thing two years ago, made it through the Senate on a party line vote in 2017 and then died in the assembly this time around. The bill sponsor uh, last session and this session, Julia Ratty brought it up or sponsored the bill, but it never came up for a hearing. She just said that too much other stuff going on. So that was another interesting uh, thing to see die. And the constitutional amendment to raise the minimum wage to $12 an hour also didn't make it past the deadline. There is another bill that would do that legislatively, but that's not going to be on the ballot. They let that die by Friday. In general, guys, I think it was a day of disappointment for a lot of people uh, to see a lot of these bills die. I think especially in the progressive wing um, to maybe finally realize that there was only so far that these legislators were going to go even under, you know, total democratic control. I mean, what were your takeaways on why, um, why certain ambitious proposals, one of them comes to mind, of course, is the death penalty ban uh, that just really didn't get off the ground at all this session. What do you gather about this class of legislators and this, uh, you know, governor based on what you saw live and die? I think in terms of the death penalty thing, and you talked to the ACLU about that, Michelle, in our excellent uh, bill death obituary story from last week. But I think there was a sense after the election that, all right, we've we got the all three. We've got both houses of the legislature and the governor's office. We can do whatever we want. And I think there's still some hesitation among legislative leaders, uh, both Jason Fireson and, and Nicole Canazaro, to have that pendulum swing too, too far to the left. So a lot of the stuff like the death penalty re- repeal is unpopular for a lot of people. We pulled that issue in 2017, and a majority of Nevadans don't support repealing it. It's just another example of a, a very progressive policy goal that people had prior to the session that just ended up not getting a hearing and dying. And jumping off of what Riley was saying, you know, he mentioned that this is the first time that Democrats have had control of both chambers of the legislature. They have control of the governor's mansion for the first time in 20 years. So I think there's also a sense that everyone's trying to still get their footing. You know, they're um, not used to, you know, sort of being aware of what bills they're going to send to the governor. Um, You know, before when it was Republican Governor Brian Sandoval, Democrats could, you know, send whatever wish list proposals they want and sort of full well knowing that the governor might veto them. Now, knowing that they're sending it to a member of their own party, I think there's a little bit more calculation going into what proposals do we really want to get done this session, you know, and just being cognizant of the fact of are you going to send a member of your own party something that he has to veto? Are you going to put the governor in a difficult position? And thinking about some of those progressive priorities, you know, and this being the first time Democrats have this kind of control in 20 years. I think there's also a lot of just thinking about what's going to happen in the next election. Like Riley was saying, with the, with the pendulum swinging, you don't want to go you know, too far one direction and then suddenly you've alienated your moderate voters in the middle and, and maybe they go to the Republican side. So I think it's a balance of what are some, some priorities that are important to Democrats to get done, but sort of don't move the needle too far uh, to the point where you end up wounding yourself in, in the next election cycle. Yeah, and this next election cycle is going to be very critical because they still need, Democrats still need to hold on to full control. They want to have this, you know, control of the legislature and the governor's office in the 2021 session because they're going to be doing redistricting. So they're going to have to design maps and and reapportion all the legislative districts, and they want to be in control of that process. So they don't have a lot to lose in this upcoming election. I think it's also a matter of focus. 
I mean, if you, you know, expend a lot of political capital abolishing the death penalty, it might be uh, harder. You might rile up the Republicans against you on other criminal justice reform efforts on bail or other things like that. So I think at the end of the day, they need to kind of focus their energy on, on a couple priorities they've got going. But of course, that's going to upset, you know, progressive wing that, that wants to see more bold action towards their priorities. Moving on, we are now approaching another deadline. April 23rd will mark the first House passage deadline. Can you explain a little bit about what we're expecting to see there? Yeah. So, you know, like we were talking about, we had the first committee passage deadline. This is the first House passage deadline. So bills that haven't been waived or been exempted from deadlines, if they don't clear their first house, they die. So this is another one of those, you know, key dates in the legislative process for figuring out what moves forward and what doesn't. Like you've mentioned, we've already started to see bills move this week, but there's still, I think I looked today and it looks like there's hundreds of bills still that, you know, need to be, need to come back out of committee. A lot of bills had amendments, so they're, you know, waiting probably on LCB to get those amendments drafted so they can come back to the floor so they can be voted on and moved out. So I think, you know, we're taking a look right now. Um, there's obviously some proposals proposals are sort of are, you know, innocuous. Everyone agrees on them. They're going to move forward. But there are some of these uh, bigger, a little bit more controversial proposals that we're waiting to see if they move out. Um, and I know you've been monitoring some of those bills as far as immigration goes. You know, what are what are Democrats going to actually pass out of the first house? So maybe you can talk a little bit about what you've been following there. Well, the immigration issue has been an interesting one because this week we saw a proposal called AB 281. It's a bill that does not end the 287G agreement. Now, this is the agreement between Metro in Las Vegas and ICE, where they kind of work together to do immigration enforcement activity from within the jail. It's a controversial program. Activists think, uh, you know, the police are being complicit with ICE, and ICE itself is just at this time in history very controversial. So this program doesn't do away with that, but what it would do was require local law enforcement, uh, before they hold somebody on an immigration-related issue, they first have to have probable cause that the person committed another crime. So you couldn't just say, you know, this person is in the country illegally, so I'm going to hold them in the Las Vegas city jail. You would have to say this person, uh, we have probable cause to believe that they robbed a bank or something to that extent and they also are in the country illegally, to kind of hold them and use those local resources towards you know, accomplishing an immigration enforcement-related purpose. Uh, so this bill actually did get the support of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police, but it had also attracted quite a bit of opposition from folks uh, that believe it's a step towards making Nevada a sanctuary city. So it just got all, a lot of this anger kind of attached to it. A lot of folks that were upset with immigration policy, and one of them was former uh, Attorney General Adam Laxalt's PAC, which hadn't tweeted anything in probably six months, but was activated on this particular bill and was telling its followers, you know, AB 281 is going to turn Nevada into a sanctuary state. We saw pictures of Wilbur Martinez Guzman. This is the guy that, um, you know, is accused of being in the country illegally and, and committing four murders up here in northern Nevada. Um, so his face is plastered on this. We've got pictures of Kate Steinley, which is a San Francisco woman that was, was killed by someone that was in the country illegally. So anyways, it just kind of got wrapped up in a lot of this 
stuff. And then suddenly we just see it pulled from the voting list and it's just kind of sitting in limbo right now. It's on what's called the chief's clerk's desk. We have no idea if it's going to come up for a vote. The Senate couldn't confirm whether it's going to come up for a vote. So, you know, I think what we're seeing is people concerned about the political consequences of bringing this up for a vote. Um, We've already seen a kind of a foreshadowing of what could happen to Democrats. I think they're weighing, is this worth it mm-hmm. to us yeah, going yeah. forward. Yeah, and it's a really interesting issue. I mean, I remember covering last session, you know, another immigration bill sponsored by State Senator Ivana Kinsella that was, you know, up for a hearing and then it was pulled from a hearing. And, you know, there were a lot of the similar conversations happening around that, you know, just as far as is this an issue that Democrats are going to pursue? Um, and, and last session they ended up not pursuing it. So it'll be interesting to see, I think, what happens with this bill uh, this session, obviously, because there's been so much attention on the 287 287G program and the role that law enforcement plays in in federal immigration enforcement. One of the other hot button issues that did come up for a vote and did pass uh, was a bill that would decriminalize abortion. Can you tell us a little bit about what that bill actually does? Because, of course, Nevada has a constitutional amendment basically enshrining the right to an abortion. Yes. Um, So what was this bill seeking to accomplish? Yeah, so this is um, another bill sponsored by State Senator Ivana Kinsella, um, and it would decriminalize abortion, which, again, like you mentioned, you know, might be confusing for some folks because abortion is, you know, allowed here within the confines set out by um, in the Constitution. But essentially what this bill seeks to do is there are still criminal penalties on the books for abortions that are performed outside of the scope of Nevada's abortion law. So basically the the big example that people point to is self-induced abortion. So if somebody, you know, were to somehow get their hands on an abortion drug and were to take it, they could be penalized under the abortion statute. I think there's also just some concern generally that having something on the book criminalizing abortion in any manner, especially for, you know, uh, pro-abortion rights, Groups, there's this feeling that you know the the Supreme Court has is very conservative now with the appointment of Brett Kavanaugh. Maybe the Supreme Court's going to take up Roe v. Wade, which was the landmark you know abortion case. So there's some concern nationally that among these groups that you know the Supreme Court might take this issue on, and if they do, then what does that mean for the states, and what does that mean for some of these laws? that are on the book. So that was sort of the lens through which they were approaching this issue is, okay, maybe, you know, the state's not prosecuting people under this statute right now, but is it something that could be used in the future or something that could come up in the future in light of whatever happens with the Supreme Court? Another big portion of the bill would make some changes to the state's um, abortion-informed consent procedure. So some of the groups backing the bill argue that there's, you know, information that doesn't need to be shared with patients. Obviously, this is a very hot button issue. But again, pro-abortion rights groups believe that that women should only be given medically necessary information. They don't believe that the emotional implications of a procedure is medically necessary procedure. They view it as scare tactics. But then on the other side, you know, groups that don't support abortion, they say this is medically relevant information. It is important for women to be fully informed about the consequences of their decision. So there's just this fundamental disagreement there about whether or not this information should be shared. But this bill essentially would limit what a doctor um, can tell their patients to just that medically necessary in- information, sort of the the side effects and all the things you would want to know before undergoing a procedure. But that's another big point of contention in the bill. You know, groups that, that aren't in favor of it just would like to see 
that discussion added back in there, you know, a more robust conversation about what it means to undergo procedure, undergo the procedure. Now, this was an interesting bill because the vote was not party line. No, it wasn't. And that that was really interesting. Um, We saw two Democratic senators cross over to vote against it. Uh, The majority of Democratic senators did. So that was uh, State Senator Mo Dennis uh, and the newest state senator, Marshall Washington. They they both voted against the legislation. And then we saw Republican State Senator Ben Kikeffer, you know, cross the other direction and vote with a majority of Democrats in favor of the bill. And I actually talked with him a little bit um, after that vote earlier this week and, you know, asked him why. And, you know, his opinion was he thought it was, you know, a cleanup bill. It was just cleaning up language in the law and that, you know, it didn't really seem to be a huge deviation for him from what's, you know, already on the books. Uh, A lot of other Republicans, though, expressed sort of significant concerns along the lines of what I was saying earlier, that they want this sort of more robust um, informed consent procedure and express some concerns with some of the changes that are being made to, to penalties with, you know, people who procure abortion drugs and things of that nature. Yeah. And I think it's just an example of one of those bills that I think the caucus is saying, you know, vote your conscience. Mm-hmm. And yep. um, there's some people, especially on, on issues of abortion and even issues of physician-assisted suicide, we've mm-hmm. seen at least in the past session. Yeah. Uh, some Democrats uh, are not comfortable with that. Yeah. There are definitely issues that don't divide along, you know, party lines. It's not a caucus bill because this is an issue that's so personal for a lot of people, um, whether it's you know moral or religious opposition. So it really is one where you can see um, a little bit of, of crossover between the votes. It's always interesting, I think, to see you know how how those votes go. One of the interesting votes that I watched this week uh, was about the national popular vote, and this is another example of just people being all over the the map on this one. Yeah, you know the the bill would basically enter Nevada into the. In- or to the National Interstate Compact uh, for the National Popular Vote, uh, if enough states join with enough electoral votes, basically to account for a majority of the electoral votes, then it would take effect, and Nevada would basically cede its electoral votes. It would take the winner of the national popular vote instead of the winner of the electoral college vote. And as we know, this mm. issue has become more prominent because we recently saw Donald Trump win the electoral vote mm-hmm. and lose the popular vote and take the presidency. So yeah. I think it's reignited mm-hmm. uh, the issue. But uh, we saw Democrats uh, testifying both in favor of the bill. Uh, it was Democratic Assemblyman Tyrone Thompson that was supporting the bill. He said, you know, we kind of need everybody's vote to count the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the Electoral College, really, you know, Nevada's have more power than uh, certain larger states, um, you know, like California. I think we've we've seen that just because we're strategic, Mm -hmm. we actually have a little more clout. But then you're also seeing Democrats argue uh, against the national popular vote and saying this electoral college process is helping us attract all these candidates to Nevada. We've gotten so much attention. Our vote is worth a lot more. We're an early state. Why would we voluntarily give that up and just become, you know, a wash with every other state? And why would we just let candidates, okay, go to Los Angeles, go to San Francisco, uh, win 
votes there as opposed to really work to win Nevada over. Right. Because, I mean, when you're thinking about the popular vote, right, you're thinking about, you know, some of the most populous states. So if, you know, if this passes, does that just give candidates an incentive to just go campaign in, in the big states? You know, if that's if that's all they're trying to do is hit a numerical threshold as opposed to this calculus of, you know, X state has this many electoral votes. They're trying to be very calculating in the way you're figuring out what states to campaign in. It's an interesting issue. Another bill that kind of has, has been interesting this week has been one you've been covering about asthma drugs. Yeah. So it's an extension of a, a debate that went on last year. It is. Yeah. So this is another, um, it was one of the sort of big bills of the 2017 session uh, to create transparency on essential diabetes drugs. So what that means, diabetes obviously is is a drug that affects a significant number of, of Nevadans. And the concern with a lot of folks, a lot of patients is that the cost of diabetes drugs are going up and up. Folks are just finding it harder and harder to afford the cost of their medications. We've seen this conversation happen on a national level. So this bill last session essentially required um, manufacturers of essential diabetes drugs to sub- submit to the state certain pricing information. And then drugs that the state determined um, had increased a significant amount over the prior year had to submit extra information to the state. So they had to explain their costs and profits associated with the drugs. And the goal was you know, for the state to put together this report sort of explaining why the cost of diabetes drugs is rising. Is it rising? What are the factors contributing to it? Is it, is it drug companies? Is it these middlemen in the drug pricing process? known as pharmacy benefit managers. So we saw that play out in the 2017 session. There was a lot of opposition from the pharmaceutical industry. They actually sued over the law, over concerns that their trade secret information wouldn't be protected because they have to submit certain data to the state. Um, They were worried, you know, if someone public records requests that, is it protected? So that was sort of the big conversation in the interim. Uh, Eventually, the state passed some regulations, sort of allayed those concerns um, for the meantime. And the state put out this report in March, sort of explaining some of the costs. Some of the difficulties with the report, though, is that a lot of the information had to be aggregated because drug companies didn't want, you know, to be singled out as sort of the one company with higher costs or lower costs. You know, they wanted it to be sort of this holistic report. Um, And so because a lot of the information was aggregated, sometimes it was hard to tell. There were just these really wide standard deviations and averages. It was just hard to tell sort of where the majority of the data set um, was falling, but it, it did manage to make some, you know, it managed to extract some information from these companies about what the cost of drugs were. So now, basically, like you mentioned, asthma is, is the new drug that's being tackled this session. So this legislation would do all of what we just talked about, but for asthma drugs as well. And, and um, the bill sponsor, State Senator Ivana Kinsella, she was saying on the floor during a vote on this, you know, she was talking about this is another drug that, like diabetes, affects a large population of Nevadans. There's just concerns about air quality. So this is something that's only going to get worse. Uh, so wanting to apply sort of those same requirements on asthma drugs that the state did on on diabetes drugs. One of the interesting things was there was actually an amendment proposed by Senate Republicans on this uh, legislation that would have essentially made some changes. It gets very wonky, so I won't get into the weeds, but um, it makes some changes to the way that the state handles the trade secret information um, that's submitted to the state. There was this provision essentially that exempted the information they're required to disclose to the state from the state's trade secret law. There was sort of this, this played out in the, the court case, but there was sort of this argument over trade secrets and how to protect that information. So I was talking to Republican Senate leader James Settlemeyer last night, and he was telling me, you know, he wanted to just take this uh, part out of existing law to sort of, you know, get rid of some of those concerns, prevent another 
lawsuit from the pharmaceutical industry this session. The concern from Democrats is that this would sort of water down the bill and that it, you know, it just wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the same bill if they, if that provision was taken out. Obviously, Democrats are in control in both houses and the Senate. So they voted down this amendment last night and passed the legislation um, without that amendment attached to it. Now, you bring this up uh, and it reminds me that Governor Sisolak had promised to do some basically price control measures on on drugs for asthma, drugs for cancer, I think drugs for heart disease. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a, a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Governor Sisolak is at now it is 100 days in office. Mm-hmm. We're only seeing the asthma provision. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, tell me a little bit about what we're seeing that that the governor maybe has not actually brought to fruition. Yeah, so like you mentioned, this this bill does only deal um, with asthma. And he had mentioned some other diseases that he wanted to take a look at too. So right now, from what's on the table, you know, it's unclear sort of how those you know conditions are going to be addressed. Actually, that was a question that um, Republican State Senator Joe Hardy, who actually ended up voting against the bill on the floor, that was one of the questions he raised: is you know why asthma? Why not? you know, all these other medications that I'm, he's a doctor by trade, so that's worth mentioning, but all these other medications that he's prescribing to patients, you know, why just asthma? And I think that's a question for a lot of people, right, is what can be done for other diseases? So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. The governor, you know, during the campaign talked about establishing this patient protection commission. You know, we're still waiting to see the details of that and exactly what that looks like, what that body is. I've, there's been so so much conversation about what that could be. For instance, there's a bill this session that would establish a prescription drug affordability council that would, you know, take a look at drugs that, um, you know, are th- that create a burden, a financial burden on patients, and would have some authority to actually um, set prices in a manner. Basically, it sets the amount that like insurance companies can pay for a drug. Um, it's trying to get around some of the legal concerns by instead of capping what the manufacturers can sell for, capping what the insurance companies can pay for a drug. Uh, since that's something that typically falls under the purview of um, state law. So, but going back to the overall point, you know, the question is, does that get folded into the the Patient Protection Commission? You know, what what does that body, what does that body look like, and what's its scope? So, I think we're still, you know, waiting to see how some of these how some of these details of the governor's priorities shake out. You know, there are a lot of, and this is something that we always watch through the session, right? There are all these vehicles moving and these iterations of bills, but things can change very quickly. You know, a bill could be gutted and replaced with something else. So even though we're, you know, getting far along in the session, things can still move very quickly and change very fast. So I think it'll be interesting to see sort of how all those pieces come together as we get even closer to the end of the session. Just want to refer you guys to uh, check out that Sisolak Promise Tracker. It's part of our Nevada legislature page, and we're uh, diligently trying to update that to give you guys a sense of where we're at with with the things that the governor promised to do. I think that's probably all the time that we have uh, for this episode of the Indie Matters podcast. Thanks, Megan, for joining me. Thanks so much, Riley, for being here. And I definitely want to thank Joey, our podcast producer, who makes us all sound podcast smooth be sure to subscribe to us on stitcher spotify itunes and all your favorite podcast platforms Uh, be sure to email joey if you have any questions complaints praise Uh, that's joey j-o-e-y at the nvindy.com he really wants to get some more email in his inbox so please send him a happy message thanks and we will see you guys next week Smooth.
Podcast smooth. Podcast smooth? Podcast smooth. 